Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. That's the seventh book in the New Testament, I think. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians. Um, you can use your smartphone to get there. And to, get, to uh, introduce our topic, I'm going to show a couple clips from an old sitcom. Even if, you're, even if you're really young, you probably at least have heard of the sitcom Seinfeld, right? Yeah, no. How many of you like Seinfeld? Some of this, yeah. I'm assuming most of us, anyway, uh, if you can leave that image up on the screen for a minute, you know, four, four primary characters. This uh, episode that we're going to see little clips of is basically about George in the middle. And most of the time, George's life, George's life isn't perfect. And in this episode, it's t- the episode title is The Opposite. And George decides he's, he's, his, he just never makes good decisions, so he's going to just decide to choose the opposite of what is impulse. Anyway, watch this. Well, two thoughts. I think you get the picture, right? He just decided as a two thoughts. One is that it actually works for George. Uh, if I remember the episode uh, right, he ends up getting the girl. He finds a job, and at one point he says something like, "This is no longer a theory. This has this going with the opposite has become his religion." Is what he says. This is my religion. Um, but the second thought is with this idea of going with the opposite of our instincts. That is not far from. A lot of the teachings of Jesus. You've probably thought of this. You may have. Have you ever thought about it? Huh? Have you? What? A lot of our natural impulses, if you study the the teachings of Jesus, he says, I don't want you to do that, even though that might feel, that would be our normal, natural way. He would would say, "Here's here's some scriptures. Matthew 6, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever, here it is, loses their life for me will find it. In Matthew 5, Jesus teaches, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. That sounds opposite. In Matthew 18, Jesus was asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? And Jesus' answer, part of Jesus' answer was, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. How many of you have heard that verse before? Come on, let's do participation. A lot of us have heard. Have you ever really thought about what that means? You know how quickly we turn the opposite direction of a person who sins against us? So just imagine this. So those of us that are married, if your spouse has an affair and they come back and they ask forgiveness once, twice. Okay, so they've done it four times. Some of you are like, okay, six, seven times. Seventy seven. Oh, you're that's just crazy. No, right. And if you got advice from virtually anyone in the world, and and you said, I don't know, I've got a spouse, and and so this is the sixteenth time. Do you know anyone who's gonna all of their counsel, right? 
is going to be done. You are done with them. It might, no, come on, people, participation. That's going to be way against our normal, natural response to forgive that many times. We will never walk into a restaurant again if our chicken nuggets are cold once. Do you know what I mean? We'll go and we'll do this thing and we'll order something and we'll be like, we'll be like, yeah, it doesn't matter even if they say, well, we'll pay for an extra. We're, you guys are, maybe you're much, our natural instinct is not to forgive that many times. No way. If we have a questionable business deal with someone and it feels like they were dishonest, even if they ask forgiveness, we go and we just go on to the next. So it, again, we're just talking about this idea of a lot of Jesus' teachings go against what is commonly seen as wisdom. Another way to look at this is how often remarkable followers of Jesus did what they did, although was ex it was exactly what they should do, people around them probably would have said, you're crazy. So there's a story in John chapter 6 where there's a massive crowd and they don't have enough food. And one of the disciples comment, basically they're saying, Jesus, send these people home because there's no way we can feed them. And the disciples comment was it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Let's just pretend half a year's wages. Let's pretend you make $50,000. You need $25,000 worth of fish just to give everyone a bite. Did you follow the math? Half a year's wages just to give some. And a boy offers Jesus some fish and bread. Right? Five small barley loaves and two small fish. Well, I can help Jesus. We need $25,000 worth of fish, but I have my lunch. Something like that. How do you know there's someone in the crowd going, Billy, you're crazy. That's stupid. Keep your lunch. That is not going to make any difference at all. And yet, the little dude, his name's not Billy. I'm making that up. I don't know what his name is. He was used by God to, do a, to be part of a phenomenal miracle, although it would have gone against natural instinct. There are countless times in my walk with God, I've been a Christian now for, I don't know, over 30 years, and so many times, while I know what God wants me to do, it feels kind of crazy to do it. Pray for your enemy. Well, that sounds dumb. I don't want to pray for my enemy. Tithe. Give 10% of what you have to the work of God. Talk to your financial advisor about that. And a lot of them, unless they're Christians, committed Christians, they'll go, well, they may not say it, but they might go, what are you doing? Recently, it's just real world. This is the, one of the recent times I had to wrestle through this. Uh, back in July, which is over three months ago, uh, getting ready to buy this car. My wife and I, we try to save our money and we pay cash for cars if we can. And we've been doing this for years. So we saved and saved. So we had uh, $9,000 that we were going to buy our car. And so gave uh, this guy nine grand for this car. 
That was in July. I still don't have the car. So some of you are like, whoa. Well, that's what I was doing. Three or four weeks ago, I actually began to think, I'm never going to get this car. And I had $9,000. My brain, when I'm talking to myself, I talk like this in my brain. And I'm like, this is, what am I going to, how? And I started playing this scenario out. What is going to happen? By the way, uh, it, it's going to happen, confident, touch, you know. But three weeks ago, I thought, what am I going to do if I have, if this guy just takes my money? Side note, he's a Christian guy. And I believe he's a committed Christian guy. In that scenario, now some of you are probably going, you're going to figure, well, you're going to, this verse came to my mind. Because I was thinking about, do you take him to court? Do you, uh, this verse came to my mind. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. And then here's the, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. And I remember that day, settling it in my mind. Although it sounds crazy, I remember settling it in my mind. Lord, if I never get a car, it's okay. I'm not taking that guy to court. It, you'll, it'll be okay. I'll just lose my nine grand and be mad. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Now, people, some of you right now are like, yeah, that'd be, I'd be opposite. Do you understand? Okay, seriously, if you begin to follow Jesus, you will encounter times, and what the Bible says, or what the Holy Spirit will say, you will be in a conflict, and you have to decide, am I going to do what is wise in the world's eyes, or am I going to do what God tells me to do? How many of you hate the Bible every once in a while, just a little bit, because it gets involved in your life? I didn't mean hate, hate, Lord, but you know what I mean. Because it gets all up in your business. By the way, if the Bible isn't getting all up in your business, you may need to check your spiritual pulse. You may not be a Christian. I'm telling you, you may not be a Christian. You might be an American, and you might be spiritual, but you may be as lost as lost because God will get in our stuff and say, this is my will, I want you to do it. Okay, that was a little tangent. It was kind of aggressive, wasn't it? Rah! Grape Road, rah! I like talking to Grape Road. Hi, you guys. Where am I? All right, so we're in this series called Missing Pieces, and we're looking at the essentials of genuine faith. And today we're going to explore when God's will, his clear will, feels foolish according to our natural instincts or what other people will say about, about us or against us. Other people will say, don't do that, that's crazy. And so we're going to learn some from 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to begin in verse 18, and it really doesn't need uh, a lot of uh, lead up to the text. I'm just going to read it. Here's what it says. The message, we're in verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the, intelligent of the, intellig the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Bounce to verse 23. 
We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world to, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Therefore, as it is written, this is verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's a lot in that text, and I would encourage you to reread that during your Bible time this week and take a lot of time. Uh, but right now, the title of the talk is Approval Addicts, Looking Good for the Wrong Crowd. And I'm going to give you two reasons to obey God even when some people would call you crazy. Or maybe it feels iffy to you. So let me pause and pray and I'll give you these things. God, talk to us, I pray. Because this is a situation. For those of us who are, who are following you, God, this is a common situation. Will you bring motivation to us to obey and to serve you well, even when it seems edgy or foolish or maybe even crazy? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two ideas from the text. The first idea is that we should follow God in the crazy moments because common knowledge is often wrong. Common knowledge is often wrong. In verse 20, <clears throat> the Bible, God's word says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? And this is where we'll land. Has not God made foolish, if you, have, if you have a paper Bible, under he's made foolish the wisdom of the world. Now that word made foolish, anybody want to guess what it means? Made, it means made foolish, but I will look at the meaning, it was helpful. It means to be foolish, to turn into foolishness, useless. It also, part of the word is connected to another root word, called, uh, uh, it's, so the, the big word is morahino, and then it's connected to this moros, which is connected to the English term that we may use every once in a while, it's moron. And so now this is not far from what the text says. God has made people who appear to be wise, some people that may have college degrees, some people that might be on the news, people you think, man, they're really smart, we could follow what they're we should do, you know, like they have a stage or a voice, and people say, oh, that's a really wise person. God has made some of those folks and the ideas that they have moronic. God says that you, they think they're right, but really the ideas are moronic. Now, I don't think it's really helpful for us, I thought about doing it, 
to, to just encourage you, the next time you're talking to someone who doesn't know God and they're not thinking biblically, don't think in your brain, moron. Because it might not be helpful. But how many of you know you talk to people and they're outside of God's will and they, they're totally convinced on whatever this thing is. And you, you, Such a moron. I don't know that that's helpful. But what I do want to say to you is when you are following God and you're thinking biblically and spiritually and right in line with him, you are not a moron for following God. That's what I want to say to you. That's the word of encouragement. You're not a moron. You're not, a, you're not moronic for following God. Write this down. When following Jesus appears silly, never forget you are perfectly sane. If you're following God, you are ten times wiser than the person who doesn't know God that has six PhDs. And God bless you if you have six PhDs. But you know what? Just because you get a college education doesn't necessarily mean you're wise. And I'm not. I think if you can get an education, we should. And God bless physicians and all the people who, right? But that doesn't make, that doesn't make us eternally wise at all. Let me give you some biblical examples of this. The disciples, and you would think, this is crazy, that the disciples left everything to follow Jesus. And I'm sure there were some people that thought, you are crazy. But are they really crazy? Were they really crazy? Right now they're in heaven sitting on 12 thrones in eternity next to God. They weren't crazy. That was the smartest thing that they could do. In Matthew chapter 26, there's a woman who pours out a, a, a bottle of perfume on Jesus and, a, to prepare him for his burial. And the disciples at the time, oh, by the, the, the bottle of perfume was worth a year's wages. So if this week we're pretending, you know, somebody makes $50,000 a year. It's a $50,000 bottle of perfume poured out. In one moment. Some of you right now are going, she was crazy. That is crazy. The disciples actually said in the midst of that interaction, why this waste? This is, this is paraphrased. This is nuts. What are we doing? Was she crazy? Goes on, Jesus says, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 2,000 years later, we're talking about the woman who made this incredible sacrifice. She wasn't crazy. By the way, you can write out on your handout, time will tell. Time will tell. Can I give you another one? In Luke 19, I referenced this story quite a bit. I've been doing my devotions and in uh, Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus. Long story short, Zacchaeus was a short guy. Jjesus is traveling through town. So Zacchaeus, is, Zacchaeus says, Jack, Zach, Zach climbs a tree. <laughs> and Jesus looks over at him. By the way, Zach is a sinner. He's a tax collector, has a reputation. And Jesus looks over and says to him, come down. I want to go to your house today. And you know what the people around Jesus said? This paraphrase, they questioned him. Are you crazy, Jesus? What are you doing? You are going to be the guest of a sinner. 
So that's the one voice saying, Jesus, you're crazy. And then Zach, Zacchaeus stands up when they get to the house or wherever they're at, and he says, here, here it is. He stood up and, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. Half my possessions to the poor. You know, there was some friend of Zacchaeus that was, you know, wanting to pull on his sleeve and say, are you crazy? Are you thinking about what you're doing? Because Zacchaeus was a rich guy. They're saying, Zacchaeus, was he crazy? No, he wasn't crazy. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Do you think for one moment in eternity, Zacchaeus looks back and is like, man, I never should have done that. Now, he may have thought that six years later, just a little bit, like, wow, I gave away a lot of money in one day, right? But it was the right call. He wasn't crazy. I want to bring this into the room just a little bit more, just to encourage you. A lot of you are making decisions based on God's will. You're not crazy. You're in a covenant marriage. You're never even going to consider a divorce. It's the right thing to do. And you're probably blessed for, for doing it. Keep doing that. You're, you're tithing. And you're seeing real results in your financial life. You have more financial peace than most. Keep doing that. By the way, there are benefits, not just eternal. There are benefits to following God. Even if the whole world says, you're nuts. You're not. So you're here at church today. Some of you go to church every week. Every week you're not working. Like, it's a priority. There are people out there who say, you, no, come on, you don't have to do that every week. You're not crazy for being in church. People have been doing this for thousands of years. Committed followers of Jesus. Don't wake up Sunday morning and go, what's the weather? Do we really want to go? They just decide once a week in the family of God, I'm going to be there to worship. Whether the music is perfect or whether the message is average, they still show up. Now that doesn't make sense because what if Pastor Mark's message is stupid? That's going to happen every once in a while. So what about that? Well, I never should have gone. Yes, you should have gone to church. Not because of anything that I would say. You should go because a lot of us have experienced Jesus Christ forgave us our sin. We're going to heaven. You should go to church every week just because of that. Even if I suck as a preacher, you should be here anyway. Or you should go to some other church, but you should get up every week and you should go someplace and sit there, even if nothing phenomenal happens, just to honor God an hour every week. We should just do that. I'm yelling now, aren't I? I'm sorry. Does that make sense? And people say, that's crazy. It is not crazy. Write this in. It's just a question. Is there an area of my life that I need to obey anyway? You might not get tons of affirmation from those around you. You may even internally go, oh, gosh, I don't know. It feels like, but you know God says do this. Or the Bible, just do it anyway. So that was the first point which was following in the crazy moments because common knowledge is often wrong. I want to get one more in here. Whew, we're going to go. We should do it even in the crazy moments. We should follow God because the gospel starts with an illogical choice. 
The gospel starts with an illogical choice. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to die for our sin. And what I want to talk about, what I want to finish up with, is the idea that God loving you and I enough to send his son to die on a cross is a little bit goofy. Because we're not all that special. He, while we were sinners, if we were saints or amazing, let me begin with a story. Uh, I often, I, I, I a few times have used this story to try to connect with the amazing love of God, the gospel. When we were growing up, many of our summers we would go camping a lot. That was like our weekend thing. And we would go to a state park called Chain of Lakes State Park. It's between here and Fort Wayne. And, and part of the, tra- the, just the culture there was they had this big softball field in the middle of the park. And, and so we would play pickup games and pretty serious softball or baseball pickup games in this park. Not just five or six or eight kids or, you know, playing out there. We would have full teams Many of them were like skilled players, and we would play these, uh, these games. A ton. This happened dozens and dozens of times. Well, um, by the way, I found an old picture of me and my dad and my brother uh, uh, recently. That's me in the right. This is me. This would have been like the season. Look at that little guy. I was cute at one point on the right. So that's not, that's not the same image. Like, I was older than that when we were playing these softball games, but that, that just was, like, kind of fun. So, okay, you can take it away because I'll feel warm, fuzzy feelings about my dad. Um, so I wasn't that age. I was probably 11 or 12, still a fairly little guy, but I had some athletic skills, so I would get to participate in these big uh, games. But here's how it would go. We would start showing up. People would ride their bikes all over. People would gather at the softball field, and then it would be time to pick teams. And without fail, they would pick, they would have two highly skilled older guys as team captains, right? You know where this is going. And then the rest of us would line up and hope to be, to get on a team. And so I still remember, because we did it dozens of times, and I would line up. Never would I be picked first. I'd be standing, because I was one of the smaller guys, you know, and there were some guys that probably played on their high school baseball team. So I'm standing there, and on this day, it may have been the only time it ever happened, they asked my father to be one of the team captains. And so team captain went over there. My dad was the team captain over there, and I stood in line, and they said, go ahead and pick. So I think the other guy picked first, and it was my dad's pick. And I'm sitting there thinking, I wonder who will pick. Because if I remember right, there was a dude next to me who was, you know, a big hairy guy. I'm like, oh, he'll probably pick him. We're doing this whole thing, and, and I'm just, you know, hey, 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 yeah, just doing this thing. When I, I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget it, as long as I live. I'm standing there. My dad says, I'll take Mark. And a couple thoughts came to my mind. First one was, are you nuts? Because these, these were, are you and the second thing, and this is as I process this as an older person, what, what, were you, what were you thinking, Dad? And you know the reality of my father's pick in that moment? And by the way, I felt all warm and fuzzy. Now I think back, I'm like, <laughs> my dad picked me. That choice was not, 
out of logic. It was out of love. That's why he said, well, that's my son. Of course, I want him on my team. Above the skill, above the whether we'll win the game or not. Can I give you a little theological side note? God wants you on his team with or without your skills. You may have no skills. He doesn't even need your skills to win the game. He can win the game without any of us. Dad's choice was not driven by logic. It was driven by love. Now look at this verse. We're getting back to the, to the Bible. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. That word is not far from the same word chosen. Not many of you were wise by human standard. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were that good in softball. That's not what it says, but you're not that skilled. And it says, but God chose the foolish things. God chose the weak things. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Now look up at the screen. Look at those texts. I got good news for you. Good news for me. If you've ever been foolish or you still are, you're a candidate for God choosing you. That's the kind of person he chooses. If you've ever felt weak, how many of us feel weak? And we think, I'm not sure I can get through this life. I'm not sure I can get through this week. I mean, we're going to doctors to say, I don't know if I can keep this up here together. My brain feels weak. You're a great candidate for God to look down and say, I want you on my team. If you've ever felt lowly, or if you are despised, you may be the person who has never been picked first ever for anything. You could be the person that when it comes down to picking teams, the team captain at the very end said, do I have to take Mark? That's despised. I don't even want him on the team. And Jesus, God would say, I want that you on my team. Is God's amazing love crazy and illogical, but it's absolutely true. By the way, this is not just some nice thought, nice preacher thought. Jesus chose weak he illustrated God's heart for the imperfect again and again and again. In Luke chapter 18, there's a story of two men who go to church. One of the guys is kind of a spiritual superstar. It says he fasts twice a week. Two days a week he fasts, and he's a tither. And another guy's at church and basically says, have mercy on me, I got nothing. And if you know the story... Which one goes home justified before God? Who does God choose? I, I look and think, surely you would pick the tithing guy who fasts twice a week. It's not who he picks. I'll take the guy who's got nothing. I could take you to so many. Oh, if you, if you want to do some study, uh, look up the parable of the lost sheep. 
God had, the, the, the shepherd has 99 sheep that are smart enough to stay in the flock. And one who wanders off. Why not just let the wandering sheep go out and get eaten by wolves and cleanse the gene pool of your flock? Right? By definition, what does he do? Goes after the dumb one. Last thing to write in on your handout. God's choices don't always make sense, but that doesn't mean they are not real. To finish our time, we are going to have an opportunity for anyone in the room or at Grape Road to respond to the amazing invitation of God to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, and I'm going to pass it back to Grape Road in just a moment. But basically what's going to happen is we're going to pray. And if you are in the room and you feel weak or unwanted or you're really not bringing all that much to the table but today your eyes are open to the reality that God says come and make me the center of your life today is the day that you can do that so at this point I'll pass it back to Grape Road pass it back to Phil you guys have a good morning and then here at Jackson Road would you all stand Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray that you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.